Today is Miracle Day, as we cover three stories about miracles. Now, am I stretching the definition of the word miracle to include these three stories? Sure. But they are miracles nonetheless. And get your hanky ready for the third story. It's an emotional ride of survivors, friendship, and one of the biggest tragedies in American history. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I have hit a new low, though. I'm not playing Minecraft all the time. I am now watching YouTube videos of people playing Minecraft. Not PewDiePie. PewDiePie videos are pretty entertaining. I do watch those, but I'm watching videos on how to build a villager spawner and how to get the most XP by melting bamboo. It's... I'm embarrassed myself that I have now sunk that low, but I'm not playing Minecraft anymore. Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. I got some new Patreons. We got, and uh, you know what? So I didn't think about this. I have such a hard time pronouncing things, and I'm like, oh, people have names that I can't pronounce. We have James Milney? Milney? James Milney? Thank you so much for your Patreonage, I guess would be the term. We have Mason Nordbeck. Mason Nordbeck has been listening to the show for a long time. He's been emailing me a lot. I think we've covered a couple of the stories he's recommended as well. He's a young guy, college student. I like interacting with you guys, learning about you dudes. And then we have Bennett Grappone. Again, I'm so sorry if that's not how you pronounce your name. Bennett Grappone. He's our Bigfoot guy. He denies it. But nearly 90% of the recommendations he sent me involved Bigfoot. He's the guy responsible for Bigfoot Week quite a while back. So thank you guys so much for supporting the show. I really, really appreciate it. It's doing a lot better than honestly I thought it would. So thank you so much. Let's go ahead and get started with the episode here. Now, miracles. How do they work? What are miracles? They happen every day. I don't know the, I don't know the Insane Clown Posse song enough to make more of a joke than that. But miracles surround us. Sometimes they're little miracles, sometimes they're big miracles. Let's go ahead and take a look at some of these miracles. I wave my hand and a bunch of confetti, magical dust appears, and we are transported to the magical land known as the Bronx. The Bronx in New York. I'm wearing all white. I'm dressed in like a cult leader robe. You're like, Jason, this show's really going to your head. I'm like, and now you can't talk because you upset the master. You're like, your mouth disappears. We're standing in the Bronx. We're in New York City. This is very recently. And we see a 63-year-old man kind of hobbling down the street. And I'm like, yo, dude, watch this. Watch this. This is going to be hilarious. And you can't protest. Your mouth is gone. The guy is walking down the street, and he falls on his butt. He's like, oh, my butt. But oddly enough, he didn't hurt his butt. He hurt his knee. So he's like, ah, he holds his butt for a second. Then he's like, no, my knee, my knee. So I look at you, and you look at me, and we we go, we pick him up. We're like, fine. I, I'm laughing, because I think it's funny, but you give me a stern look, pick up the old man. But then you have to pick me up, because my foot still hurts, and you carry me and him to the hospital. Now, when he gets to the hospital, doctor's sitting there. It's like, ah, great, being a doctor, so boring. Why can't I, like, do brain surgery and stuff? And they're like, dude, because you're a general, what is it, general doctor guy. He's not, like, a specialized doctor. He's super bored. He's like, uh. Why can't people, why can't this be like house? I wish people had bizarre diseases. Spinning his pencil in his hand, playing Charlie Charlie. But anyway, so Charlie Charlie's not answering him. 
And he goes, oh, look at this old man is being carried in by this young man who's being carried by another man. And you drop us all off. And the the old man's like, oh, my knee and my butt kind of hurts. But it's mostly my knee. Mostly my knee. I'm an old man. My joints. My joints hurt. So the doctor's like, you know, go step on the x-ray machine. Go do that. Sit down. Whatever. Doesn't even care. Gives him the wrong instructions. He's like, I'm just going to inject you with something. It's going to make you x-ray. Guy's like, I don't think that's how it works. Doctor's like, I don't care. I'm bored, man. I'm bored. But they do the x-rays. And the doctor's looking at the x-rays. And he goes, oh, my God. This is a medical miracle. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Because what appears on the x-ray is the guy's junk. His penis is on the x-ray. And the doctor goes, my God, this is a medical miracle. There are only 40 cases in world history of something called penile ossification, a.k.a. your junk, your genitalia is turning into bone. So it's all like the skin is getting replaced by little fragments of bone. And the doctor's super excited. Finally, his job is exciting. He is, it'd be the equivalent of one of us finding a lottery ticket for like a doctor nerd. Because this is so rare. He's super excited. He pulls the x-ray off. He's running through the hospital like Charlie with the golden ticket through the hospital. Going, I got it, I got it. And everyone's like, run, Charlie, run. He runs into his little doctor office where the old man was. Knowing that he was, he was going to write papers on this guy. This was going to be amazing. It was going to be a miracle that he found this guy. He goes in the office. The dude's gone. <laughs> the guy bounced. They can't find him. He's disappeared. Ooh, mysterious. Now, most likely, he just walked out the door. I don't think the people from Boner Planet, like, re-abducted him. They're like, you shouldn't be down there. You'll give away our alien species. But he just, just walked out the door. They can't find him now. He's gone. So, I, I, I mean, okay, here's the... I don't know how fast <laughs> this guy was walking. He does have a bum knee, and he has a bone penis. Like, I don't know how comfortable that is, but... It's a miracle nonetheless. A medical miracle and a miracle for the doctor because he did end up writing the paper and that's why we know about this. It was fairly recent the paper came out but now that man with that bone penis is somewhere out there in New York and you'll know it because you'll hear like a creaky knee sneaking up behind you. I don't know why he's sneaking up on people. He's just going to the grocery store. He's not trying to hurt people but and I was reading the story and I was like oh dude this is hilarious and and he always has like a it's always hard right? But then it turns out that this actually causes erectile dysfunction, which makes sense because, like, there's no blood flow and it. it's all bone. But you figure, you know, miracle. A miracle for the doctor, at least. Probably a little inconvenient for the guy. Now you're going, Jason. Is that really your definition of a miracle? Is that really? Uh, make your mouth appear again so you can protest. Then I go, listen. Yeah, kind of. Let's go ahead and move on. On to our next miracle. We are going to the beautiful country known as Turkey. That's so funny. I thought it was a different country. I just pulled my notes up. Anyway, I'm sure Turkey's lovely sometimes. We're going to the lovely country of Turkey. And the year is 2009. And we're standing outside a beautiful penthouse. I'm in my white robes. I'm going to give you white robes too. Now you have white robes too. We're standing outside this beautiful villa. Not penthouse. Penthouse is on top of buildings. This is a villa because it's just a a building. Like a little building. Like a two-story building, right? 
Penthouse is always on top. You can't just have a penthouse in the middle of the desert and no building attached to it, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So anyways, it's a villa. We're standing in front of this beautiful villa. And we see these armored vehicles going up like this dirt road. I don't know. It could have been paved. I don't know. Anyways, kicking up dust. Rabbits are jumping out of the way. Tumbleweed rolling across. It's sure these cars. I'm sure it was paved. I'm sure it was paved. I don't think anyone builds a villa in the middle of nowhere and doesn't include the roads. Roads are extra. So anyways, these military vehicles are driving through the desert. There's guys like hanging off the side of the vehicles. They jump off the car. They're like, go, go, go. Going with their weapons. Clear, clear. Kicking down the door. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. Ah, ah. There are all these women screaming inside. There's a bunch of like uh, dudes. (laughs) Just regular dudes. Business suits. They're like, no, no, don't hurt us. And he's like, get on the ground. Get on the ground now. Everyone gets on the ground. And armored, the uh, cops, the armored police or whatever, the military police is actually what they were, armored police, it starts from troopers all of a sudden. The military police have taken control of this villa. And you're, we're thinking, whoa, is this like some sort of drug raid? Like, what's going on? You figure the drug dealer could afford roads, but it's, you know, it's a weird world. So what it turns out was going on in this house was this, these guys got this idea and they said, you know what, let's, let's do a reality show. but let's not broadcast it. Let's tell women we're going to do a reality show and we'll get these super hot Instagram models to come out here and we're going to put cameras everywhere and we'll say, you know, hey, hey, today, why don't you fight with Tracy and like fight over your hair or something like that? The girls are like, yeah, sure. How many people are watching the show? And they're like, oh, the ratings are through the roof. Ratings are sky high. But they weren't broadcasting it. They just wanted a bunch of sexy women to walk around in the house in bikinis. As these guys just watched them. And you go, well, they had cameras everywhere. They did. Because you could watch it on their, like, dark web internet. I don't know if it's necessarily dark web, but there was this website that you could just watch the girls walk around in bikinis. It was not a reality show at all. And what happened was, so the girls show up, right? They're hanging out. And they start to realize, hey, there's no camera crews here. We've been here for weeks. We have no idea what's going on. What's the deal? And the guys are like, listen, here's the thing. Like, people can watch you online. (laughs) They pay a subscription and they can watch the different cameras. They watch you walk around in your sexy bikinis. You are famous. But you're only famous among perverts with an internet connection. So a lot of the women were like, well, we want to leave. This isn't what we signed up for. And this is the problem. The guys go, well, you can't. You sign a contract. You got to walk around this house in a bikini, you know, based on your contract. So... Of course, one of the rules were no cell phones and no outside contact, which is really standard with reality shows. So they're kind of stuck there. And they were being told to fight each other. They're like, because they wanted it to be dramatic. It was weird. It wasn't a reality show, but they wanted them to act like it was on a reality show. One of them didn't have like a trident and a net and the other one had like a sword and a shield. They just like push each other into the pool. Becky, you stole my makeup type of stuff. Splash. Jump out all wet and sexy. So one of them does get access to the outside world and calls up her family and says, we're being being trapped here. They're forcing us. Another thing that they made them do was they would occasionally have pool dance parties where the girls would just have to stand by the side of the pool and dance. Now, the women were never recorded in the bathroom. 
And they only had to wear bikinis, so they weren't being told to, like, strip or anything like that. Even by their accounts, they were never sexually harassed. They were just held prisoner. But they would have to, like, dance by the side of the pool, and there would just be, like, a little webcam on, the like, the corner. And they're like, ah, can I stop dancing now? And he's like, no, this is our highest ratings yet. Anyways, one of them does contact the outside world, gets a hold of her family, and she's like, uh, we're being held prisoner in the middle of nowhere. So the family calls the military police. The military police come out and raid the compound. And the girls say we were lied to. We were told it was going to be a reality show like Big Brother. But it was just a bunch of perverts watching it online. The guys in charge said, no, 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 no. We told them full well what they were in for. They're just bored. So they wanted to leave. The military police are like scratching their heads. Their collective heads. They're scratching their helmets. And they go, okay, well, that's all well and good. And we understand that you have these contracts and you have them dancing by the pool and the bikinis. And the guy and the guys are like, yeah, yeah, that's all fine. And the military police goes, but I'm pretty sure that girl is only 15 years old. And the guys are like, gulp. So one of them was underage. And that wasn't good either. So they all get arrested. But there's no, I couldn't find, that all happened in 2009. There's no follow-up. So I don't know if they were actually ever punished. The girls were eventually released. They're not still there (laughs) dancing by the side of the pool. Their hell never ends. But there was no follow-up. Like, this happened. And then nothing. So most likely, they everyone just got sent home. Most likely, there were no charges brought or anything like that. And that is a miracle. <laughs> That's a miracle. Because that could have easily ended up as some sort of torture, porn, horrible death for these people. Hey, everyone, come out into the middle of nowhere. Bring your own road. B-Y-O-R. You're going to be here on camera. And we're going to murder you. People are like, can you repeat that last part again? And they're like, oh, no, 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 it's just fine print. It's just fine talk. It's stuff we say really, really quietly. And then we murder you. So it's a miracle, right? It is a miracle that these women didn't die. And for the men, it's a miracle that they didn't spend the rest of their lives in a Turkish prison. So everything worked out, right? Miracle. True miracle. Now, at this point... The dust is swirling around us as I'm casting another spell to take us to our new location. And you're like, Jason, this this episode might be the weakest <laughs> weakest connection. Stories are interesting, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, fairly interesting. But I don't think they're miracles. But see, sometimes when you make a cake, you got to put some sugar and milk in it, right? To make it taste good. Because otherwise, it's just bread in an oven. I just came up with that analogy. Don't know if it makes sense. but. Sometimes you have to have a little humor, a little fun in the cake. The humor and the fun's the milk. (laughs) You guys get it, okay? The point is, is that our next story is truly a story of miracles, but it's going to take us to a dark place. We are going into the South Tower on September 11th, 2001. It's 9-11, and the North Tower has just been hit by a plane. The people in the South Tower thought, This must be some sort of horrible accident. There is no way that someone could do something like this. And that's pretty much what everyone thought that morning. It was an accident. And people were being told, just stay here. Rescue vehicles are going to swarm the area. You're better off in the South Tower. Down there, you're going to be getting in the way of all the rescue personnel. So that announcement goes out. Now, we have Brian Clark. He's in the South Tower. And one of his co-workers is completely flipping out. Like, everyone's flipping out, but one of them is just really, really distraught. And Brian, Brian Clark, 
throws his arm over their shoulder and says, let's go for a, a walk. And they start walking to the opposite side of the South Tower. Let's calm down. You don't have to see that. Like, it's horrible. Let's come over here. Also on the South Tower, we have Stanley Primeneff. Stanley Primeneff. In Stanley, his office is on the 81st floor of the South Tower. Stanley's sitting there at his window, and he already knows that horrible destruction that's happened next door, but a lot of people just kind of went back to work. What are you going to do? You're safe. And he's sitting there, and he's just kind of filing paperwork around, really not doing anything, just trying, trying to keep busy, try to keep calm. And he looks out the window, and he sees a plane come around the Statue of Liberty. And he's watching it. It's getting closer and closer. It gets so big and so easy for him to see. He actually can see the letter U for United Airlines on the side of the plane. He watches it bank right. Like it wasn't headed directly towards him, but it's flying low and close. And then it turns right and starts heading right towards him. He says, Lord, I can't do this. You take over. And just huddles. The plane impacts 130 feet from his desk. And everything goes black. Except for the flames that ignite through the building. And he just begins screaming for help. Brian's on the opposite side of the South Tower on his floor. And when that plane hits, everyone in his office is killed. Where he was sitting was where the plane impacted. Blackness and flames surround everything. And it's a mad dash at this point. He opens up the stairwell. It's pitch black. Now, he's been up and down that stairwell numerous times. But it is... There's no light whatsoever. Now you don't even see the flames. And as he's walking down this pitch black staircase to wherever, the ground, you don't really know where you're going. You just know you can't be here. He hears someone screaming. He hears multiple screaming, but above it all, he hears a man screaming. And that's when he sees Stanley. There is a flashlight that Brian gets. And I don't know if he got it from a desk or if there if it was like a service thing there, like an emergency service thing. But he's able to get a flashlight. And he starts looking around the room and he sees Stanley separated from a, a freedom. I mean, they're still trapped in a burning building. But Stanley is actually blocked by a, a mangled wall, like a wall that's completely collapsed. And Stanley's on the other side of it. And Brian goes, you got to jump, dude. you got to jump over that wall. And Stanley's looking at it, and he sees this flashlight beam on the other side of this hill of just debris. And he jumps over the wall. Not like, you know... Jack over the candlestick. Like, I think he probably scrambled over it. I don't think he got a running jump. But anyways, he gets over the wall of debris. He immediately kisses Brian on the cheek. And Brian goes, hi, I'm Brian. Very so normal, just reaches his hand out. And Stanley goes, hi, I'm Stanley. We'll be brothers for life. And they both of their hands have been cut up as they're kind of moving through the debris. And they shake hands. And Brian says, I have no siblings. And I'll be glad to be your blood brother. And Stanley goes, come on, buddy. Let's go home. They go back into the staircase. Now, when the planes impacted, it busted all of the water lines in the building. So the staircase is not only pitch black, it's flooded. Every step you're stepping on a wet stair in pitch blackness, 
only a flashlight to kind of light the way. There's only one stairway left intact that will actually take them downstairs. There was a quote about the situation in the stair, or just the situation in general. One of the survivors from the 77th floor, Jonathan Weinberg, said, Whether you went up or down, whether you went left or whether you went right, that decided whether you were going to live or die that day. Because the thing with the staircases, there were only three staircases that went the full length of the building. And each staircase could only fit two people walking down it at the same time, side to side. So you would have situations where you would walk down one set of staircases, it's completely blockaded. So you would then have to walk up three floors, cross a floor, and then walk down another one. So some people who survived said, I walked up the stairs as everyone else was going past me. I never saw them again. Because they they must have hit some sort of barricade or they smoke inhalation or something like that. Whether you went up or down, left or right, determined whether or not you died that day. Luck. Guidance. Miracles. When that building, the building was full of drywall, so when the plane hit, you had walls just collapse in on each other. People were getting buried under it, but you also were creating all of these barricades in the pitch darkness you couldn't get through. Only 15 survivors above the impact zone survived that day. Only 15 people who were above when that plane hit and that South Tower survived. They would, were calling 911, and 911 was saying, just stay up there. We're going to put the fires out, and you'll be fine. Because that is what they've done for every high-rise fire throughout history. Stanley and Brian are making their way down the stairs. They are in the only stairway left that is completely intact that will take them all the way to the floor. And they don't know that. A true gamble. But it's not just two men walking down the stairs. You have hundreds of people moving down these stairs. Stanley has this quote about an experience they had on the stairs. We came across a security guard who was caring for a man who had broken his back. The man couldn't be lifted, so this guy was staying with him until the end. He said, Please tell my wife and baby that I love them. These people are the unsung heroes of 9-11, not me. These are the people who said, If I can't save you, I'm going to die with you. Brian and Stanley just look at the security guard and the, the man who is stuck there. And they continue making their way out of the building. In the North Tower, let's jump there for a second, you have some of the first responders in the building. Ladder Company 6, the firefighting team that's in the building, to try to put out the fires, but at a certain point, it simply became a rescue mission. Get them out. We're not going to be able to get our equipment all the way up there. You had One of the reasons why is you had firefighters trying to get up the stairs. The staircases, only two people at a time. You had too many people coming down the stairs. The firefighters, though, all these people are coming down the stairs, and on one of the landing, there's a disabled woman. And people are trying to carry this wheelchair down the stairs. The firefighters get there, and they're like, you guys just go. You go, 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 go. We'll get her. We'll get her. And they had a lot of incidents of that. They had like hundreds of people who had disabilities that had a really hard time, if not impossible, to get down the stairs. They end up, the firefighters end up picking up the disabled woman. They begin coming down the stairs in the North Tower. And the North Tower starts to collapse. They hear the 
building shaking. It's just dissolving from the top down. These firefighters are looking at each other. And they're just running down the stairs carrying this disabled woman. And then everything around them dissolves. The wall just gives way, crumbles, dust, dirt, darkness, and then pressure on top of them. Those firefighters and that disabled woman, a miracle, found themselves in a perfectly formed air pocket. The debris just fell on top of them in such a way that all of them survived. Rescue crew go and take them out. Find these firefighters, this disabled woman. Totally fine. I mean, obviously, some serious mental issues from it, but they survived. Miracle. Head back to the South Tower here. Stanley and Brian run out of the building. Fresh air. Look over. North Tower's gone. It's just not there. And as they run out into the street, and the firefighters are like, get back, get back, get back. Four minutes. After they left that building, South Tower completely disintegrates, dissolves, collapses. Four minutes they had to spare to get out of that building. I said fifteen. only 15 survivors above the impact zone came down the stairs. Only four people who were in the impact zone survived. And that was Stanley. Stanley was one of those guys. He was where the plane hit. He was one of four people who made it out of the South Tower that day. Now they have a 9-11 Memorial Museum. And in that museum is Brian's flashlight and Stanley's shoes. Instruments of survival that people use to escape the worst terror attack in United States history. Miracles are a really interesting thing. And it's one of those things that the word has actually really been dumbed down. A one in a million sports play is called a miracle. Because yes, it's a miracle. It should have never happened. Scientifically, logically, statistically, it should have never happened. But it does. And when you have that touchdown against all odds, people say that's a miracle. But I think when most people think of miracles, and that's I had some goofy examples for miracles in the beginning, kind of for the same reason. We use the word miracle all the time in all sorts of contexts. But a true miracle is the story of Brian and Stanley. They should have died. Statistically, they should have been dead. But each step in their journey down, they made the right decision. And miracles are also a very interesting phenomenon to look at because. It's selective. They had their escape, but 3,000 other people died because of that same experience. And you go, where's their miracle? Why do these people survive and those other people don't? How come these people made all the right decisions and these other people made similar decisions, but they had a worse outcome? An overall miracle to the whole thing is if the planes had hit at a different time of day, they expect the casualties would have been around 14,000 people as opposed to 3,000. So that is a miracle in and of itself. But it's an interesting thing so we can look at stories of people who survive extreme events and go, that's a miracle. And they know that. But they wonder, and the people who lost loved ones wonder, where was their miracle? Where was their miracle at? It's, it's, It's a super bizarre phenomenon 
And you can either attribute it to luck, you can attribute it to divine intervention. But the divine intervention one, you think, again, where would, if, if some sort of supernatural power, some sort of divine being was interfering in the lives of Brian and Stanley, why not these other people? And if it's luck, it should be strictly up to statistical chance. None of them should have made it. So what are miracles? It's truly an unexplainable phenomenon. We can talk about ghosts and Bigfoot and all sorts of stuff and measure feet and dung, Bigfoot dung, or, you know, rattling chains and spooky stuff coming through your door, aliens flying overhead. All of that stuff is fairly easy to categorize and debunk or prove. But a miracle is just a one-time event that happens and somebody beats the odds. Miracles may be the most paranormal thing that everyone experiences over and over and over again. So while it might be nice to break out the Ouija board and play Charlie Charlie, not at the same time, that's just asking for trouble, but while it might be nice to explore the paranormal in that aspect, sometimes the most supernatural events happen all around us because it's a miracle that we're even alive today to discuss this topic on Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mm-hmm.